as we continue our series uh, through the Gospel of Luke, we come to um, this little passage here in Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Uh, You'll remember or recall that Luke wrote this gospel for Theophilus to uh, help Theophilus have assurance and certainty about the things concerning the things he had been taught about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I want you to remember that today because we come to the story now with parents bringing their little ones to Jesus, Jesus receiving them and blessing them. And Luke in the background is saying, here's what the real Jesus is like. A Jesus, a Savior who loves children. Uh, Before we read our text, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand and believe all that he would say to us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You have you have told us that your word is useful for, for teaching that renews our minds, transforms our lives, for rebuke that uh, stings at times our consciences, for correction that brings holy, wholeness and healing in our lives, and for training that equips us to be your servants. We thank you for your word, and we trust it because we trust the God of this word. We rejoice at the opportunity to, to once again, as a congregation, sit at the feet of Jesus and, and learn from him because his word has been so living and active in our lives in the past. And so we pray that the Lord Jesus would come and minister his word to his people today in the power of the Holy Spirit And we ask all of these things that you might be honored and glorified in our midst. Amen. Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. Let's hear God's word. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, this is a very familiar story, I think, to all of us here this morning. Um, it's in three of the four Gospels, communicating, I think, the, the love of Jesus Christ for little children. But it's kind of like a Sour Patch Candy or your sour to sweet candy of choice, isn't it? When you pop this story into your mouth, it starts out with a sour taste. Because it begins with the failure of the Apostles. Parents, guardians, grandparents, whoever they are, bringing children and even infants to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these apostles who have been chosen by Jesus in order that they might be with Jesus and then be sent out by Jesus to bring other people to Jesus, 
are now acting less like apostles and and more like bodyguards. Standing between the people and their children on the one side and Jesus on the other side. And while the accounts don't tell us explicitly what was motivating the apostles to rebuke these parents for bringing their children to Jesus, we know from Jesus' response that they got this one horribly wrong. Mark tells us that Jesus was indignant with his disciples. This is one of those occasions where Jesus became angry with his apostles. Angry because, well, they thought Jesus was too important. They thought the work of Jesus was too significant for him to get caught up with spending time with children. He had bigger, more important things to do. Proclaiming the kingdom. Manifesting the power of the kingdom. Jesus Jesus couldn't possibly have the time, nor perhaps does he care to spend time with these little ones. But you see, Jesus does care. And that's at least part of the significance of this story. Like I said at the start, remember, Luke is writing this gospel to, to Theophilus, and this gospel has been preserved for God's people to, to say to us, this is what Jesus is really like. If you want a real understanding of Jesus, well, our understanding of Jesus, I think, would actually be deficient if it were not for this story in the Bible. Because this Jesus communicates, this story communicates to us that the real Jesus is someone who has a deep affection for and concern for Little children. A Jesus who receives and blesses them. And, and, and therefore, another part of the significance of this story is, is not only that we would, we would know and trust and follow the real Jesus, but we also know that a part of discipleship and God's salvation being worked out in our lives is being conformed to this Jesus. Becoming more and more like this Jesus. And so if we have a Jesus who loves little children, then therefore his people will be a people who have a concern for and a love for little children too. And notice, not just my children. Not just my grandchildren. These aren't Jesus' children. These aren't his relatives' children. These are other people's children. And so if I'm going to be like Jesus in my, in my thinking and in my actions, and yes, even in my affections, you see, God's salvation touches all of those areas, doesn't it? As he sanctifies us, our thinking, our actions, even the level of our affections. Then as God works in us, there will increasingly be something of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for children reflected in our own lives. And so this is, I think, bound up with the fruit of the gospel in the lives of those who trust and follow Christ. 
and, and expand upon that beyond the individual level to the life of this household of faith, this congregation? What, what will the atmosphere of our church be like if we are being conformed to our master in this area? Well, we will be a church where, where children know that they belong. Where, where children are not treated as outsiders to God's kingdom, but, but by virtue of God's covenant promises, insiders called to a life of faith and repentance following the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ should be marked out by a concern and a love for children, the children of the church. Not that they govern and determine and are the center of everything we do, as is so common in family life today. But the conviction and the belief that they really are a blessing and they belong. And how does Jesus feel then when his disciples fail to reflect his love for children. I think here's one of the really sobering parts of the story because Jesus uses one of the most terrible words imaginable to describe his own apostles. Just not too long before this, you remember Jesus saying, better for a man to tie a millstone around his neck and be cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Than to, to be a stumbling block for a little one's coming to Jesus. And now here he is calling his own disciples hinderers. So you see the evidence of their, their spiritual maturity is not their status as apostles or even the incredible gifts that they have been given by, by Christ. You remember these are, these are men who have been casting out demons in Jesus' name. But they think they and Jesus are far, far too important to be spending time with children. But you see, what, what happens here is Jesus rebukes them because it is actually a sign not of their maturity, but their immaturity when they rebuke parents for bringing little ones to Jesus. I, I think that in their minds, they really thought that they were upholding kingdom priorities. That they were being the spiritually mature ones and saying, hold on, hold on, Jesus, and we do not have time for that today. But they were actually acting in a way that was totally anti-Jesus and contrary to the priorities of the kingdom of God. And you know, I think we can do that too in, in all, all sorts of ways, can't we? You know, thinking thinking we're doing the spiritually mature thing when we're actually compromising Jesus' own priorities. You know, we, we can regard ourselves as mature Christians doing the, the mature things, but here's one of the stinging truths of this passage, brothers and sisters, is that we are not really mature disciples until we share the love of Jesus Christ for children. And so this, this story, it begins with a sour taste in our mouths, but thankfully it goes on to sweeter things. As we go from the failure of the apostles to the desire of these parents. Why did these 
parents bring these children to Jesus. We're told here by Luke that they brought their children to Jesus that he might touch them. Well, does that mean they believe that Jesus had some kind of magical power, that if he just touched them, something amazing would take place? I, no, I think, I think we get some help from other accounts of this same incident. And we find out that they were, they were bringing their children to Jesus, not only to be touched by him, but to be blessed by Jesus. And blessing is more than, hello, little boy, hello, little girl, have a nice day. The Bible word blessing is is deeply related to and connected to God's covenant. So that when God blesses an individual, his grace and salvation are poured out upon that person. And I think another thing we need to appreciate is is in their culture and this context, what these parents were doing was actually incredibly counter-cultural, counter-cultural. The religious establishment. It was, it seems during this time, a practice of parents to bring their children to an official rabbi so that the rabbi might pray over those children. And it happened especially on the Day of Atonement. There would be crowds and crowds of people bringing their children to rabbis. So the question becomes is, okay, why are they bringing their children to Jesus then? Why are they bringing their children to, to Jesus for blessing. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't an official rabbi. He wasn't trained in one of the recognized rabbinical schools. He had the same level of education as, as, as the average person. And he came from Nazareth, of all places, as if anything good can come from Nazareth. And yet these crowds of parents, despite all of the <coughs> cultural expectations, rejected the trend and decided to take their children to Jesus instead. So I do think there's a sense that we need to appreciate here in which the parents are doing something dramatically radical in their religious context. In a sense, they are, they are turning their backs on the cold, dead religious establishment of their day. Where, uh, you know, Rabbi so-and-so studied under Rabbi so-and-so, and Rabbi so-and-so taught what Rabbi so-and-so taught, but this rabbi disagreed with this rabbi, and on and on and on it went. They were ivory tower theologians loading burdens of man-made traditions upon the backs of the people. And then there's this fresh voice. This man named Jesus going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And when people heard this Jesus speak, they said, he, he speaks as one from God. He, he speaks as one who has authority. And he speaks about, about a coming kingdom. A kingdom that calls us to, to faith and repentance. And he speaks about a, a life of, of following after him. And, and that is what we want for ourselves. And not just for ourselves, but for our children too. I think that is what's so striking about the desire of these parents. Their their desire is expressed here that their children should be brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was so important to them that they were willing to buck the religious traditions and customs of their day. So this was no small thing for these parents to bring their children to Jesus. They, They came 
They came believingly. They came trusting that Jesus could give them the blessing of God. They came deliberately because there were plenty of other rabbis they could have taken their children to. And amazingly, as Luke tells us, they, they even brought their infants to Jesus. You know, Luke, Luke uses a word in the Greek that is not just referring to six-year-old Sally or seven-year-old Billy, but two-month-old nursing infants. Just as I'm saying that, I see Kelsey walking in with Eli, taking Eli to Jesus. That's what Luke is describing here. Now, I know, that, you know, you, you know this, this passage, it often comes up in discussions about who should be baptized. And maybe there's that question hanging in the air. So let me just say something very briefly about this in the minor key, because it's not the main point of this passage. You know, here at, here at Trinity, we, we believe the Bible teaches that the children of believers ought to be baptized. And sometimes in those discussions, those in-house debates amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll hear this passage being raised in those discussions. And somebody might say, what, what's this got to do with baptism? I mean, baptism isn't mentioned, and parents aren't bringing their children to the font, they're bringing their children to Jesus. Yeah, true, true enough. If the argument is, okay, these parents brought their children to Jesus, therefore we ought to baptize our children, that is quite a stretch. <laughs> but that's not, I don't think, why the passage is usually raised. I hope not. The, the reason the passage is usually brought up in these discussions is because of not only what Jesus does, but what Jesus goes on to say. Because it is in keeping with the biblical pattern in the Old and New Testaments of welcoming children as members of God's kingdom people. See, one of the things this passage is teaching us is Jesus wants to bless the children of believing parents. And in the new covenant, the sign of his saving blessing is baptism. And as he goes on to say, to such belongs the kingdom of God, these, these children and infants. Jesus saying the kingdom belongs to them. Then I think one of the questions at least worth discussing is then shouldn't they receive the outward sign of belonging to God's kingdom of blessing? See, the children of believers are not outsiders to God's covenant until they profess faith. They are insiders by birthright who are called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk before him in a life of repentance. Let's keep going here. We've, we've thought about the failure of the disciples, the desire of the parents. And thirdly, then there's the response of Jesus to all of this. Again, we're, we're told in other gospels that Jesus responded to the apostles with indignation. And one of the challenges of this passage then is if I am not deeply concerned about the spiritual well-being of my child, I can be assured that Jesus is indignant with me. Or to put it another way, if I become a hindrance to my child coming to Jesus, 
I can be assured that Jesus is indignant with me. But then you'll notice he, he not only expresses his, his indignation, he makes this remarkable declaration about these children that I mentioned or alluded to a moment ago. And it's important we listen to Jesus carefully. So let's stick our nose in the text here. Verse 16. Let the children come to me. Now stop there for a moment. And, and here's the picture that Luke is drawing for us. There are children and, and there are infants. And, and both little children and infants are invited to come to Jesus. But those those children and those infants come to Jesus in different ways and at different stages of life. And so you've got, you know, six-year-olds, eight-year-olds being led by their parents by the hand to, to the Lord Jesus for blessing. And, and what about, but what about infants? How are they coming to Jesus? Well, they're coming to Jesus being cradled in the arms of a father or a mother or perhaps a, a grandparent. And they're being offered to Jesus, the, the covenant head of the new covenant community. And they're saying, Jesus, you've you have promised to not only be our savior, but the savior of those who put their trust in you. So bring, we bring our children to you for blessing. But take a closer look now at Jesus' declaration. Because I think this is where this passage is often misunderstood. What, what Jesus says in verse 16 often gets conflated with what Jesus says in verse 17. But he says, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So please don't, don't confuse that phrase with what Jesus <coughs> goes on to say in verse 17, because people often do, but Jesus is saying, Two distinct things here. He's teaching two distinct truths. He will go on to speak to the crowd and say, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. But that's different from what he's saying in verse 16. In verse 16, he's saying, His kingdom belongs to such children. That means the kingdom of God belongs to these children and children like these children, and yes, of course, to others. So Jesus is actually saying, make of it what you will to such as these, that is to these infants and children and children and infants like them. The kingdom of God belongs to them. He's saying as kingdom parents bring their kingdom children to Jesus Christ for his blessing, those parents are to, to look to the Lord Jesus to effect one in the same blessing that he has effected in their hearts and their lives, to effect that, that blessing in the hearts and lives of their children as they come to him believingly. So let's not confuse verse 16 with verse 17. Uh, in verse 16, Jesus is is not saying that you've got to become like a child to enter into his kingdom. That's what he's saying in verse 17. In verse 16, he's saying the kingdom of God belongs to these children and children like these children. By virtue of God's covenant with his people, these children have a rightful claim to God's blessing. 
And so, so, so is Jesus saying then that the kingdom of God belongs to all children without qualification? No. He's saying the kingdom of God belongs to children like these children. And so what is it that marks out these children? It's that their parents or whomever is caring for them are saying, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And I am yours. And, and these children that you have given to me, I entrust to you for blessing. So as you've pronounced your covenant blessing over my life, would you be pleased to pronounce your covenant blessing over the lives of my children? And as they grow in consciousness, may they respond to these covenant blessings with a life of faith and a life of repentance as they live for you. But then, of course, Jesus does go on to make an application to the crowd in verse 17. Now he says in verse 17, okay, you've heard what I've just said. The kingdom of God belongs to these children and all who belong to this group of children who are brought by believing parents in faith to Jesus for blessing, whose deepest desire, whose heartfelt desire is to see their children walk in faith and repentance before the Lord. And now he says, and, and what about you to the crowd? Because if, if you are ever going to have any part of the kingdom of God, then you have to receive it like a dependent, helpless child. As helpless as one of these little infants, perhaps that Jesus was holding as he said those very words. An utter dependent trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how one enters fully into the kingdom of God. And I think, I think this story connects then with the previous parable that we looked at last week. You remember when we looked at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you have the Pharisee who you know, acknowledged in some sense God's grace. I thank you God. But when it came down to it, it was really all about his, his religious performance, his works, his religious duties, his obedience. And then you have the tax collector who will not even lift his eyes up to heaven and is beating his chest, crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector is a picture of one entering the kingdom of God by childlike faith. He is saying, in other words, God, I have, I have nothing to offer you that would merit me entrance into your kingdom. There's nothing that I can do in and of myself to deal with my sin problem. I need a sacrifice that's sufficient to take away my sin. I need you to be propitiated, to be satisfied in order that I might be received. And so Jesus is saying <coughs> to this crowd of people, what what about all of you? Because if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, then you have to receive it as a dependent, helpless little child. Do you remember Martin Luther's dying words? Some of you may know this. The last words he, he wrote down, he said, we are beggars, this is true. That's the way to enter into the kingdom, dear friends, and actually that's the way to live in the kingdom. So there really is so much for us to learn from these three little verses, isn't there? For, 
for families, for parents, giving priority in their family life to bringing their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. For our church family, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if you know, part of the reputation of our church and our community and as we rub shoulders with our friends and neighbors, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if they, if they thought about Trinity and said in, in passing, you know, those people, they really, they really love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just something I've noticed about them. They, they have this affection for their children where they seem to be unrelentingly committed to raising up the next generation to know and love and trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that stands out about them. But then, you know, there's also this challenge here for all of the disciples of Jesus Christ to not hinder little ones from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I don't know about you, but I find this to be an immense challenge when, you cons- when I consider all of the ways that I can be a hindrance for little ones coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not praying with and for them, not teaching them the Bible, talking to them about a, a life of, of faith and repentance, and then actually not modeling a life of faith and repentance in my own home life. Speaking to my children about the importance of the church and worship and fellowship and Christian service. But then actually declaring to them by the daily decisions that I make that there are actually more important things than our walk with the Lord. And on and on we could go. You see the challenge that Jesus is confronting us with as adults. And then there's this final word to to the real outsiders in this passage. It's it's funny because the passage starts out with the apostles assuming that the children are the outsiders. And Jesus says, nope, they belong. My kingdom belongs to such as these. But then Jesus turns to speak to the real outsiders about his kingdom and he says, do you know anything about my kingdom? Do, Do you know how one actually becomes an eternal member of my kingdom. Because the only way in is to be like one of these little children, humble, reliant, dependent, utterly helpless. Have you entered in like a little child, or is it just a complete mystery to you? You see, Jesus is saying, I think, gently but pointedly to everyone there, Are you in or are you out? Because the way to enter is by becoming like a little child and saying, Lord Lord Jesus, I've, I've come in my weakness and my need and I'm a great sinner, but you are a greater Savior. And so I entrust myself to you. Have mercy upon me. And dear friends, we have the assurance of the gospel that anyone who comes to Jesus like that, will never, ever be turned away. Well, let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we continue to work our way through 
the Gospel of Luke. We really, we really do marvel at how your word touches every aspect of our lives. And even now, today, we, we hear your word speaking to us as, as families, as parents, as a church family. And I pray that the little ones would hear Jesus loud and clear this morning, expressing his love for them expressing his desire that they come to him, even be brought to him, and be blessed by him. And I pray, Lord, that by your grace and your spirit at work among us, that we would never be a congregation of hinderers or parents who hinder our children from coming to Jesus, but a people who are utterly devoted to bringing our children each and every day to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.